Father, we um, thank you for uh, the salvation that you give through Christ. We are ecstatic about the fact that we have been uh, drafted on your eternal team and are able to spend eternity with you. Lord, help us, help us to pursue you with everything we got, Lord God. Lord God, and help us to be motivated. Help the word of God to, to be a transformational tool in our lives, Lord God, that it may dig in deep and cut into the deepest recesses of our lives. Lord God, in order that we may love you more, that we may know you more, and we may glorify you more effectively. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, and everybody say Amen, amen, amen. Just a few things before um, we, we get started. I got a couple of students here from one of my seminary classes, so if you could just put up your hand real quick. What's up, y'all? Got some of my students here, so say what's up to them. Um, some of my students, uh, God bless y'all for coming. Um, also, um, wanna, wanna, I think a congratulations is in order because something is in the water. Something's in the water. That was a rhyme, right? I ain't going to do an album, though. I, I do real bad at that. Uh, but, uh, man, Geshel and Lay, why don't y'all stand up real quick? Where y'all at? They're up in the balcony. <laughs> Amen. Amen. They are with child. They're with child. That's what's up. That's what's up. It's, it's so booming to see so many people get married. Um, but we got so many young couples here getting married because they've already fallen in love with Jesus, fall in love with one another, pursue them together, then get to share that with a godly seed. Amen? And so we want to big up God big time for that. So I told y'all also that I will be highlighting different ones of our elders. We have five of us and... Another elder I want to kind of highlight today is Pastor Larry Smith today. Um, and, and, Lady, and Lady Harriet. Uh, uh, <laughs> we're so glad that they're on our team. And he just came on staff about a month ago, full time, and is destroying it to the glory of Jesus Christ. Shepherding people, loving people, and, and, and really taking our, our, our life groups. We're going to be talking about small groups and some changes are going to be made with them, but just some of the things that God is gracing them to do and take his time, you know, and he's the seasoning on our staff. And so again, brother, we love you. We're glad you're here. We thank God for how he's using you. And we thank you that you got 25 years of ministry experience that you're bringing to this church. So let's big up God for Pastor Larry Smith and Sister Harriet. Amen. 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 Well, we're in Ephesians, and um, I, was, I, I hoped last week we would have been off this section by now, but something's magnetizing us by the Spirit to these verses. So we're only going to deal with the latter part of verse 18 today. Um, we're not going to probably get to verse 19 today. So we're just, because as I began to study it, and you know, I, I, I like moving past stuff. I'm a, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm an off that type dude, but it's kind of just as I'm looking in the Scriptures, and, and, and trying to move through this, there were some things that I, I got exegetically magnetized to. Um, 
some, some, some things that I just felt like it would have been destructive to move past um, in light of the preponderance of biblical evidence for the life of the Christian. Y'all with me? So here today, we're, we're in, <laughs> identified as intimate part three. And um, uh, just, in, I mean, the whole series is called Who Am I, right? But, 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 but this set, the, the whole series through Ephesians, Who Am I? And maybe some of you, you know, I was thinking about this. I was walking to the building this morning. You know, I walked here this morning. That was great. I got to walk here. That was great. Um, but it was interesting that I, I began to think about most people, most of us are used to kind of sermons being non-book-based. In other words, going through. And so I know many of you guys are new to this. And so one of the things that we believe that God uses is when you do what's called line-by-line exposition, you, you, what, what happens is, is God will at times providentially, not that he doesn't use topical exposition, we're not against that. We're not against systematic theology. We're not against those things. But one of the things that will happen is, is you will see God providentially bring up subjects as you trust him and walk through the book line by line. And stuff that you was dealing with, he knows you're dealing with. The areas you need to grow in and ways you need to see him more clearly, he will just bring up just because he's like that. You know what I'm saying? So he's, he's sovereign in God over everything. So today, let's, let's, last week we did the A portion of verse 18. Uh, we, we did the A portion of verse 18. Look at verse 18. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, this is the part we're going to do today. Really, the middle part, the B part. We're not going to get to the C part today. It says, that you may know what the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We'll get to what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints next week. But we're going to spend time by God's grace in this middle part. Um, as, as we've gotten in this section, we've seen that Paul is talking through in the entire book the identity of the Christian. Say the identity of the Christian. We, we, we believe biblically as Christians, not just the Pivney Fellowship, but every Christian, that identity is, is a great a commodity that God wants us to have a handle on. In other words, he doesn't want us to be mixed up, fam, in, 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 what, in, in who we are, whose we are, and what's our purpose. Therefore, we, we remember, remember if y'all been trekking with us, most books in the New Testament was written because there were issues going on, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but here, it wasn't really an issue going on. This is a just because letter. Say a just because letter. Yeah, this, this, is, this is a just because deal where he's really um, trying to help them to understand who they are, who they are, what's their purpose, and how to honor God where they are. And so here in this section, he begins his prayer. And as we spoke of several weeks ago, we talked about Paul's prayers being legendary. His prayers, when he begins books, his salutations are legendary. And, and what's beautiful about this prayer is he's praying for a bunch of stuff. But, 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 but now we're going to go into the section where he's saying the purpose of the stuff he's praying for. Now, the, is the center of the prayer is intimacy. In other, words, in other words, he doesn't want them to just know about God. He wants them to actually know God. And he wants them to know God in such a way that they're rocked by him, that they have affections for him, but then also that they pursue him. Because remember last week, it said, have the eyes of your hearts enlightening. enlightened. And we remembered that 
the heart there meant three things, your rational life, your emotional life, and your volitional life. In other words, um, your, your value system, what you think, what you, what you cling to, what you tight with intellectually. As Christians, we're not anti-intellectualists. We believe that you don't leave your mind at the door. We believe that God transforms your mind. Are you with me? Then from there, based on what you value, God shapes the heart, based on Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, where he, remember, when now your passions and your emotions and your desires and your affections are now to be in alignment with what you say you believe based on the scriptures. But then from there, it goes to volition. It goes from head, heart, feet. Now you got to do something about what you believe, what you have been affected by in your passions, but now what you can practice. All right. So he says, having had your hearts enlightened. So we remember it, in, in that tense that it's in, it's a perfect passive, meaning that it already happened when you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. So at that moment, all three of those things were positionally transformed. However, you have to go through the sanctification process for them to be practically transformed. All right. So now now we in the thicket of it. Now he says a statement that's crazy. He says that stop there. Stop there. That points to the fact that he said the purpose, I'm praying all of this crazy stuff for you. The purpose and reasoning behind me wanting you to be intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may grow in intimacy. Remember we said uh, a salvation is automatic, but intimacy takes work. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so now he says the purpose of this intimacy, the purpose of this intimacy is three things. Now, we're going to only deal with one of those things today, and that is hope. Say hope. Powerful word. Powerful word that we're going to spend most of our time on. Uh, it, 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 it is, in this text, Paul says, the reason why I want you to be intimate, the reason why I want the eyes of your heart enlightened is so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. When you, when you understand the idea of hope, hope is one of the potent pillars of the Christian faith. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, there are three pillars of the Christian faith. Number one, the first pillar is faith. Say faith. The second pillar is hope. Say hope. And the, and the third one is love. The, these, these are key demarcations, not merely that you are a Christian, but what helps you to walk as a Christian. Now, what Paul does, though, here is he zooms in. He's already talked about faith earlier. He's going to talk about it further, but now he really wants to zoom in on this idea of the anatomy of hope. Now, I, I, now I looked on a whole bunch of stuff up on hope, and one of the things that's, that's interesting in relation to this is I, I looked at, again, I remember from my psychology degree, your boy Maslow, you know what I'm saying? And he had a hierarchy of needs, right? which is funny, right? Hierarchy of needs, physiological meaning, breathing, food, water, sex, sleep. Uh, something he said here. I, I don't want to say those other two things. Safety, security is the next one. Then up above that is love and belonging. You need friendships and family, all of that stuff. Esteem, self-esteem or self-worth, confidence, achievement, self-actualization, morality, creativity, spontaneity, problem solving, all of those things. Now, if that's a from his perspective, is a hierarchy of needs. Faith, hope, and love are the Christian's spiritual hierarchy of needs. They're the center 
uh, in relation to our ability to walk as functional Christians to be able to execute the Christian life prop properly based on being identified as intimate and being able to walk in intimacy with God. But now in relation to being impacted and walking in that intimacy, this is the purpose of it, that you may know the hope. And so, and so, and so I, I look at various statements as we get into this joint on hope. We're going to be in a lot of verses. But, but, but various statements on hope I just thought was very, very interesting. One dude, uh, I can't even pronounce his name. I just can't even pronounce it. But he said, hope, he says, deceitful as it is, serves at least to lead us to the end of our lives by an, agree, uh, by an agreeable route. Another dude says, Christopher Reeve says, once you choose hope, anything's possible. Another cat, Robert, uh, Robert G., says, hope is the only universal liar who never loses his reputation for veracity. Another cat, Titus, Plautus, right? These are, these are going to trip you out what these people think about hope. Things such, things which you do not hope happen more frequently than things which you do hope. I didn't understand what he meant by that. Vincent McNabb, hope is some extraordinary spiritual grace that God gives us to control our fears, not to oust them. I kind of like that one. Last one we'll quote is, is, is by Francis Nietzsche. He says, in reality, hope is the worst of all evils because it prolongs man's torment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in other words, hope is like a fog, you know what I mean? Um, um, but we as believers believe it's central to the Christian life. Now, you've got to understand that the Ephesians were hearing about hope in a Greco-Roman context, a Hellenistic culture. So this is what they were used to understanding about hope. Hope in the Greek thought consists merely of consoling the dream of the imagination, designing them to forget the present troubles, but yet leaving one with many uncertainties. So in, in, in their ideal, hope was something that you created that you lived in light of and lived based on the picture of that, but it's something you create, not something that's created and formulated for you. So see, we as Christians, we believe that God has formulated us a hope. When he says, when, he, when, we, when Paul is talking here about that you may know the hope, the hope has already been created. And we're going to talk about the anatomy of that hope, but that hope has been created. The question is, is your volition are your passions and your practices attached to that hope that's the question we're going to answer today and work through so this hope that they talk about is the hope that the world gives in which we create our own destinies which is the object in other words we have faith in our faith in other words so you ask somebody what keeps you you say my faith keeps me well if you're having faith in your faith that's not a good object of your faith because your faith can't do anything for you. That's why we don't step out on faith. We step out on the one who gives us faith. Okay? Because if you step out on your faith, you're stepping out on empty space and you're going to drop like you step off the Empire State Building. But here in this passage, hope, hope is a beautiful anatomy of God's calling of God's people. This hope has to do with God's calling which finds its origin in the choice of his people in Christ before the world's foundation. In other words, it goes back to verses 3 
all the way to verse 14 in which the father called out and, and he's chosen us. The son redeems us and the spirit seals us. Now, that's the foundation of our hope. Now, remember we had one that was past, present, future. Stay with me because I'm going somewhere foundationally with all of this. The New Testament's concept of hope is built on the Old Testament's understanding of hope. So the direct, directed towards the eternal God who will protect and ultimately deliver, if not now, certainly in the future, and has elements of expectation, trust in God, and the patient waiting for God's outworking of his plan. Let me say that again. These elements of hope have with it expectation, trust in God, and patient waiting for God's outworking of his plan. Hope in the present context is not objective, but is also subjective. So here Paul prays that the, his readers might grasp more fully the hope into which God has brought them by his calling. That which is held out in the gospel. So hope in Paul is oriented to that which is an unseen future. An unseen future. In other words, this unseen future is God's visionary picture of how he wants things. God's vision. This hope is, in other words, what does things look like when God transforms that thing? So when we talk about in light of the gospel in this hope, God gives you a picture of what that preferred future looks like, but that preferred future has not happened yet. So what you have to, that's why, that's why in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says something beautiful. Know what it says? It says faith is the substance of things what? Wow. So if you don't have hope, you can't have faith. Because listen, faith uh, hope is, uh, faith is rooted in the ability to have the picture cast for you by the living God. If you don't have a picture of a preferred future cast by the living God, then you have nothing to have faith in in relation to having, I mean, you have the one to have faith in, but you're not believing him for anything in particular. That's why when you have faith in God about something, you got to be sure that his visionary picture paints the portrait of what you say you're praying for. What do I mean by that? That means you can't make up stuff that you want God to happen, make happen, and, th and get angry at him because it hasn't happened. The reason it doesn't happen because it's not a part of his re redemptive picture of what your preferred future looks like. Many of the center of our frustrations come from hoping in human creations for something to come to pass that God ain't cool with. And so we spend our times, some of y'all fall back from God because he won't do things your way. <laughs> you, you, you say, oh God, you're not, God, either you're impatient, and it may be something that he'll bring to pass, but it's not his timing. So you've, so you've pulled away from the hope, all right? But then there's the other time when he's just clearly not cool with it, and you're trying to force feed God a prayer that he won't swallow. Because the picture is God's portrait of his eternal providential and sovereign picture does not have what you're praying for in mind. So therefore, therefore, you need to have a little bit more humility in your time with God. That means even what you pray for, that's a picture that you want. 
you have to be humble enough that the divine editor will transform and change that because the ultimate goal of God answering the hopes with, that we have in prayer has to do with what his desires are, not our desires are, and more for his glory than our own. So that's why you have to have the eyes of your heart enlightened. That means, that means you have to begin to value what God values. Then you have to have passions that are shaped by God and volition. Because if you don't, then you're going to be you're going to find yourself in practical, volitional and intellectual frustration with a God who's saying no consistently. And because he said no, you reject him because he rejected your hope. And see, you'll see and notice what the text says. It says that you may know what the what is the hope to which he has called? So it's a hope that he has created based on his calling of you to salvation. Oh, I wish I had time. I, I, I got I to move. I wish I had time to talk about that a little more. So therefore, again, hope. Hope is the visionary picture and passion towards a preferred future reality. Brought by the past finished work of Christ on the cross. It's hope. <laughs> that, that's the hope of his calling. Hope, hope is the visionary picture and passion towards a preferred future reality brought by the past finished work of Christ on the cross. So this is the only way you can apply faith to this. Thus... The prayer focuses on three aspects of temporal aspects of salvation. Number one, the prayer of Paul is embedded in these three statements. First off, calling points to past in the verse. Inheritance points to future, which we'll talk about next week, week after next, or next week if we get to it. Um, and the present, uh, the, and, and that will point on the present, which is the power towards us who believe. So the hope here is, is, uh, is the comprehensive expectation of his saving purposes in Christ. In other words, God has expectations behind why he saved you. <laughs> he has expectations of you. Divine expectations that are, that's why when we get to Ephesians 4.1, he says walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That means that there were expectations that God has to say, show me I didn't save you for nothing. Okay, so, so, so what God is doing is he's, he wants the Christian aligned with these values. We'll get to some of those good works when we get to Ephesians 2.10 when, when he said we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works beforehand so that we may walk in him. I know that's your favorite verse, Joe. So, 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 so here, here in the verse, here, here, in, here in this verse, he, he, say, he said, fam, I want you to be shaped by the hope of God's dream for you. Do you know, Christian, that God has dreams for your life? Do you know that God has passion for your life and that he's rigging everything in your life to, 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 to um, not support it, but to reflect his work in your life? Everything in your life has to do with Christ's finished work on the cross and you hoping in that reality and in every day of your life, God making sure that you don't lose hope. Everything in your life has to do with you struggling with whether or not you're going to hope or not. Everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. 
So this, this, this idea, though, is in connection with his idea of calling. I like the way Horner says it. He says, although calling is past tense, he says the practical reality of the calling is currently being worked out. So God has expectations that drive the reason why he saved us. Kind of, kind of, kind of reminds me when I was younger, you know, I, I told you my parents are old and my, my parents, my father be 87 this year. My dad will be 80, my mom will be 86. And so I got like all my friends, their parents was like 15 to 30 years older than them, whereas mine were 50 years older than me when I was growing up. And so one of the things when I would ask, like, I couldn't, go, I couldn't go off the porch. Like, they riding their bikes, running across the street, almost getting hit by cars, in the alley, creating basketball courts. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting on the porch in the shade. My parents wouldn't let me do nothing. Only way I could do something is my brother, who's nine years older than me, went off the, was on the porch to watch me as I was going. And then when I finally got, I graduated from the porch to the bottom steps. Then I graduated from the bottom steps to riding my bike from one end of the alley to the other in the front of the house. Then I got to go from corner to corner. Then I grew, I mean, it was just rugged, my parents. And then I, my beatings were legendary. Like when, when Eric Mason got his behind whoop when he was growing up, even to this day, my friends dog me about how beat down I was that you can hear from one corner of the block to the other of me screaming and my father slamming down with a barber belt on my behind. Legendary. So I'm giving you a picture of something. So, but, but, so when I finally got to ask, I had to, I had to stand in the mirror when I asked my parents if I was going to go somewhere. And I had to stand in the mirror and practice how I was going to phrase everything because I know that my dad was going to always have some type of appendices to that thing. All right? So what I would say was, and so when I would get to him, I, I, I would talk to him, and then I, I, but I knew that I had to prepare myself for the lecture. And the lecture was a long lecture about what makes our house different from everybody else's house. That was number one. <laughs> I see you, Sister Christy. Number two, <laughs> number two, number two, he had expectations. And this expect, and he, say, he says, now, since you're a Mason boy, I got to walk you through what the expectations are for because you're in a relationship with me and things that we're trying to rig for your future. Listen, I want to make sure that you handle yourself in a way that reflects my expectations for you. So when you get with those folk and when you go out there and when you go with their family, you need to act as if I'm present with you even though you're with them. My rules overstep their rules. And if you have any problems, here's a quarter. As a matter of fact, it was 15 cents back then, date myself. And, and, and call me, and then I'll come pick you up because I have concerns about people trying to switch your, my expectations for you to their expectations for you. See, that's what this is about. God is lecturing you throughout the Christian life about his expectations of you. Everything in your life is about him saying, you wear my name. And since you wear my name, walk by my name, and been saved by my son, you have to walk in alignment with those expectations. Therefore, if you come out of alignment with those expectations, then I'm going to beat you down. See, see, I had legendary beatings. I'm going to tell you what. See, God, do you know that God will tear your butt up? He will tear. Listen, go ahead and create another video. Go ahead and do your own expectations. But the issue is, is you've been branded by the name brand of the kingdom. 
And when you're wearing his gear, you have to follow his principles. So the greatest clothing brand is, is to reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, God's expectation, expectation with that brand is that the hope of his calling will be practiced wherever he sends you. So it's beautiful. So the idea is that the believer's hopes must be married to the hopes of the one who called them. So knowing this hope transforms our present orientation. So hope changes our disposition towards everything. I'll give you another illustration to illustrate this reality of the hope. In my family, um, there's some real, real dysfunctional people. Now I know that y'all don't have no dysfunctional people in your family. They've been dysfunctional for so long that I no longer expect them to have functionality. Therefore, <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. You may be the one. I'm sorry if you're the one that's, that's the one I'm talking about. I'm sorry. And, but what we found ourselves doing was at a family reunion or at a family gathering making room for their dysfunction. Because we no longer expect functionality out of them. Uh, 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 and, so, and so what we've done, many of us are so dysfunctional because we don't have God's hopes in mind. We've rigged our lives around these false hopes. And now you and everybody around you have made room for these false hopes in your life. But God is calling you back to a clear hope because he does not want Christians in dysfunctionality. He wants us in functionality. But our hearts have to be married to his hopes. We're going to lay some of them joints out in a second. We're going to lay some of them out in a second. But, 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 but it's so important that, that, that the Christian begins to develop. God's whole goal in making us spiritually functional is getting us focused on the right person, the right places, and the right things. And, and listen, if you lose, everything in your life boils down to whether or not you're hoping. In other words, I'm going to keep saying it, is your picture God's picture? Is your picture for your singleness God's picture of singleness? Or do you get impatient because you want to be married so bad, and so you start uh, uh, mortifying God's, God's standards to facilitate your own personal values, passions, and practices? Maybe you're married, and you, you don't like how marriage is going. Therefore, you create your role as a different role as a woman. Man, you create your role as a different role as a, on your job. Everything in your life is, is based on a false hope of what you want. Why? Because you're living for yourself and not for the living God. And when he's transformed your mind, he transforms your passions, making you, even if the pill is big to swallow, to say, God, I've tried it everybody else's way. Now, God, I want to do this your way, even if it hurts. But even though your way is hard and the other way right now feels better, I know that the end result of your way is always going to be the best thing for me. <laughs> That's why he wants them to be intimate. Intimacy has a purpose. It's not just so you can cry. I was with the Lord. <laughs> Woo! Woo! That ain't now, you can do all that. My time with God was good. What happens when you're in prayer and you're struggling with him? Was it good then? Your, 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 listen, your intimacy with God is not based on how you felt when you were with him. It's knowing that you were with him. 
You'll get that on the way home. You'll get that on the way home. So the hope shapes everything. I get, I, 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 and so, however, if you have hope that is married to the hope that God has, these are ways you respond in hope when his hope is yours. When his picture becomes your picture. When you see challenges in your life, guess what you'll say? For I consider the sufferings of this present life not to be worthy, to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. See, that's hope. Because things looking fuzzy and funny right now, but your hope is not based on circumstance. It's based on a savior. When, when you get sick, when you get sick and God won't heal you because he's doing something in you. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if this tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God. Somebody ought to say amen. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. How many of you are groaning right now? He says, longing to be put in our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found nude. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by... Yes, we are of good courage. Now, this is a dude that's getting thrashed. Got a thorn in his flesh buffeting him. So he won't be prideful. This is a dude talking in the midst of being thrashed by life. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat, the beamer seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due. When loved ones die that are in Christ, you may get a little fuzzy, a little frustrated. But guess what the Bible says? 2 Thessalonians 4 13 says, but we do not want to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not be grieved as others do, who have no hope. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's going to be so smooth, so sweet. He's going to say, come on, let's go. And then they're going to boom tube from heaven. Clack, clack, I can't wait. Good God Almighty. And so it says in verse 15, it says, for this, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive will, be, will not be left, who are left, the coming of the Lord will not proceed those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of, of command. With the voice of the archangel, that's Michael, big Mike, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with them in the clouds, and we will be with the Lord forever. When everything seems like it's falling apart, 2 Corinthians 4 says, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. 
to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus in order that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal bodies. When you feel overwhelmed by your sin that you got yourself into, not the devil, you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, even though you got yourself into the mess. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I'm just reading those things. Those are just, those are just the scratching of the surface of the impact practically of what hope in God produces. It produces your ability to keep going. Listen, the Christian life was created to be hard. It wasn't created to be a rose bush. It was created to have fun though, to enjoy and to have hope. However, we do not let anything but God's calling dictate where we are. And the beauty about it is your spirit will be broken. You will get hurt. You will get frustrated. However, that doesn't change your hope. Because if you're walking in biblical intimacy with God, that means even when you're struggling with where you are and where God is taking you, you're still having that preferred future in mind. Next time you're in the midst of the most gully trial you can imagine. I want you to begin meditating on God's visionary picture for the Christian. <laughs> I want you to begin saying, God, God, I, I know you haven't brought anything to pass or to fruition in my life that I've wanted at this point, God. But I pray that you would zoom me in so that I may hope in your calling. Because right now, I want to tap out of life. I want to tap out, God. I want to tap out of my marriage. I want to tap out the Christian life. I want to tap out the church. I want to tap out of everything in my life. However, there is a picture that everything looks like when Jesus gets to it. And God, I'm going to walk in life. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to strive and remain faithful to you so that the picture of what you want things in my life to look like, I will remain so that I can see the beauty of those things actually happening. So now, I want to experience the hope of your calling. Remember, it's his calling, not your calling. His calling, not your calling. You don't call yourselves. You were called. Every Christian is called, not just preachers and deacons and bishops and apostles or whoever. Listen, the, the calling, this calling here is for the whole church. And it's specific and it's divine and, 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 and it's beautiful. And it's a beautiful hope. If you just hang in there, you'll get used to God working things out. You, you'll just say, you, you'll get used to God working stuff out. You'll be like, man, it's rugged right now, right? But remember when, see, that's why your butt needs to journal sometimes. You need to read, pray, read the Bible, and then talk about what God is presently doing in your life. Every, uh, every now and then, every other day, or maybe every week or something like that. Because what will happen is, is you will have them notes of hope. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll remember what you were feeling at one point in time, then the next day. How God just transformed some stuff. And he didn't even change the situation, but he changed you. <laughs> and then you say, man, I remember I was depressed this day. Frustrated this day. Next thing I know, God is just making me even feel better and deal with the circumstance. And then God took me out of the circumstance. I'm no longer in the circumstance. Then you get in something else. And then when it happens, you're like, I oh, let me. Let me. 
<laughs> I was tripping that day. Wow. Woo. Watch it. I need to scratch that word out. I don't want that to. Whoa. I was feeling real bad that day. Oh, wow. But look at the Lord. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. You begin to bless his name. Why? Because you're saying, God, I saw myself in this place. But pursuing you as my hope, and my, I see your preferred future happening right before my eyes. That's why some of y'all, some of y'all too depressed all the time. You're too gloom and doom, and you worship total depravity too much. You need to learn to see evidences of grace in your life. God is at work in you. God is at work right now in you. That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. This is not a false prophet standing here. This is what the book says. He has a calling on your life. And he's bringing it progressively to pass, even if you're not a star. Because some of us think exaltation is the hope. Personal exaltation is the hope. But, but that's not the hope. The hope is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And you need to write down when you see evidences of grace in God's life, in, in, in your life that God is doing, and in the life of others, it produces a greater passion to apply that hope to your life. So I hope. That no matter what sin you're in, what frustration you have, what difficulty, or even how good things are, don't hope in your circumstances, but hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to be intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of intimacy, is to experience the hope of his calling in our lives. Father, I pray that your visionary expectations in our lives will come to pass. That you would shred every picture that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Technology presents pictures to us because of our faulty passions, Lord God, and being left field. Look, I, I want us, I pray that we would all, and me included, God, will be married to your hopes. What, what, it, what does it look like for God's hopes to impact and invade our life? That the beauty of what it means to be a Christian, being a Christian is rugged, but it's such a beautiful life because we, we, we have so much hope. If anyone, God, is a Christian and they're bored, Wow. Because Christian life is an epic thriller of us being chiseled into the image of Jesus Christ. So, God, I, 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 just, I just thank you for the saga that you have every person on. And no one in here has a boring life if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But maybe you're here and you're trying to create your own story like the world says. You want to create your own story, create your own destiny. There's no such thing as a self-fulfilled prophecy. <laughs> if you're here today and you're trying to create for yourself a preferred future, only God has the real hope of a future for you in Christ. And we pray that you would repent. That means admit you're jacked up like the rest of us, all of us are. <laughs> and turn towards the living God through Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, that he died on the cross for your sins. That he was raised up on the third day. That you would say, God's wrath, God's anger should have been taken out on me, but God loved me so much 
that he sent his son to take on his wrath for me. When I trust in him, I'm given the life that Jesus has, perfect, unblemished, transformed life. That I'm brought into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not so things merely can get better, but that's so that I can have the one who created everything as my friend and have a relationship with him. Based on John 17, 3. This is eternal life that you may know God and his only son whom he said. That's eternal life. That's you. We got some cards on the back of the table that we love for you to fill out. And we love to chop it up with you, talk to you about what it looks like to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. So God, we pray now that you would bless the rest of our gathering as we take communion and, and, as, and as we do our benediction. But we love you and we praise you. And we want your hope, the hopes you have for us. God, we, we, wanna, we, we want those hopes. God, work them into us. Help us to be totally wide open to you. Help break us where needed. Challenge us where needed. Lord, help us to love being a Christian. Help us to get rid of gloom and doom Christianity. Because you called us to be children of the light, not children of the doom and gloom. So we love you. We honor you. And we want to give more of ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.